two rides that are quite extremes for me. One I love and one I hate. And you might say, why do you get on the ride you hate? Well, it's called peer pressure. But uh, when I go to Disneyland or Disney World, the one ride I love to go on is either Space Mountain or Splash Mountain. I love the mountain rides at Disney. And so one of the things I love about, uh, you just pick it, let's just talk Space Mountain for a little bit. You got the line, and it's just so fun going through, if you've ever been there and on that ride, it's so fun going through the mountain, and then the anticipation of that ride is really exciting. And I've probably, I've ridden it, I've ridden it since I was a little kid, and I'd probably say I've been on Space Mountain maybe 50 times, you know where all the curves are, and even though it's dark in the mountain, you know where all the beams are, and you know where all the points are, and you just really love that ride, and, and you know now where the cameras are, and you, you like stick out your tongue or high five, and, and you just are going through it, and even though it is scary and exhilarating, it is fun because you know at the end of the ride, you pull in and you say, wow. That was exciting. Now, the ride that I hate is called Mission Space. Has anybody gone on Mission Space? I don't know, but that, that ride is a little bit crazy. In fact, I don't even know why I go on it. But to, again, I know my kids wanted to go on it one time and my family, and so I didn't want to look like a loser dad that can't go on a ride anymore. And so you go on it, and you know, you walk in and it says, if you have heart problems, do not get on this ride or you may have a heart attack. If you tend to grind your teeth at night, do not get on this ride or you will not have any teeth left. If you have irritable bowel syndrome, it is going to be in full force. And you know, you're reading all these signs, you know, you are taking your life in your own hands. And then all of a sudden you get on it and... I don't know, you just you want to lose your cookies. and everything. It's just a horrible ride. And you get off of it and you say, Phew, I'm so glad I'm not on that ride anymore. Those two rides, I believe, are a picture for a lot of us in life. Some of us know that life is going to be stressful. Life is going to give us some curveballs. Life's going to have its ups and downs. But we sort of take it and we sort of enjoy it, and we sort of trust God in the midst of it, and we know that God has our life in his hands, and we are hopeful that we're going to arrive safely at the end. Some of us, though, we're a little bit like Mission Space. We just want to get off, and we're just saying everything around us is just full of anxiety and stress and and just, can I get off this thing called life? Because it is it's just creating too much anxiety in my life. And there is no anticipation. There is no joy in the journey. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to learn how to find hope. And how to transition from a life of anxiety to a life of anticipation of what God is going to do. The Bible says a lot about hope, and um, I really love some of these verses. Um, some of these are some of my favorite verses. Uh, the first one, we are, as Christians, we're called to rejoice in hope. Romans 12, 12 says to rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. We're called to rejoice in hope. Later in Romans, it says that we have the God of hope, who not only wants to 
to give us his hope. He wants to fill us and give us a confident hope that is built upon joy and peace. And I put that on the program. That's going to be there every week on the front page. You can see Romans 15, 13. We have the God of hope. Peter understands that there is a thing called the living hope. And it's based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we as Christians, our hope should be alive. And because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we should never be discouraged. But we have this living hope that is active and energizing. And it should be producing life in us. Peter also says that we are to set our hope fully on the grace of God that is to be revealed. And we don't set our hope on something in this world. We're setting our hope on God and his grace and his mercy and the return of Jesus Christ to establish his kingdom. Not only that, but the Bible says that we as Christians, we are to grieve with hope. It says that we as Christians should not grieve as the world grieves without hope, but when it comes to death and it comes to loss of a spouse or loss of a child or a loss of a parent, we as Christians, we can grieve with hope and expectation that we're going to be reunited with him. The Bible also talks about the hope of our salvation. In fact, the picture that is used is of a helmet. It protects us. It protects our mind. It protects our thoughts. And knowing that we are saved and are in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, that we have been delivered from the presence of sin and, and the power of sin and, and that God is going to work in our lives, that is the hope of our salvation. And we wear that as a helmet and that guides us. So the Bible is full of hope and today we're going to dig deep into a passage that I think that's going to help us through that. We as a staff, we've been talking over the past uh, few months, and this is sort of our desire for the church and for the school, is that we want to build hope and be about building hope in Harrisonville, one family at a time. Since I've been here, since uh, 2014, we've, we've used a lot of different expressions We've talked about reaching the next generation for Christ, trying to provide safety and security and significance. We've talked about loving God and loving others. But I really love it as we as a staff, as we've talked a little bit about what we want to be about, what's going to make us unique. We want to be about the task or the mission or the purpose of building hope in Harrisonville one family at a time. I've had people ask me, well, why does Harrisonville need hope? Well, I think most of us would admit at times we need hope. But their community needs hope. It's interesting. I, I did a little statistical study of our community. And I'm a firm believer if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, there's a good chance that you're struggling with hope and you may find life hopeless. What this pie chart reveals up here is the blue represents the evangelical faith in Harrisonville in 2010. It's, that number is at 23%. 23% of people in Harrisonville 
would classify themselves as evangelicals. And this was in 2010. The main line is sort of that orangish, brownish color there. And that's the mainline denominations, you know, like Presbyterians and Lutherans and things that would be mainline. And then the Catholic is, is at 6% as well. But the nuns, people in our community that have no religious association at all, they don't even claim to, to go to church or to participate in, in, a, in a church congregation or have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That number is at 63%. And that was in 2010. We're almost 10 years later. And I don't know about you, but I imagine that that number has even grown. And so what I see in our community is that there's a lot of individuals that need hope. They need hope for tomorrow because life is full of a lot of anxiety and stress and worry. And how do we transition? But it's not just about our community. I believe it starts with us as individuals. And I don't know which arrow best represents you, but when I talk about hope throughout this series, hope and anxiety are going in two different directions. And you can't say, well, I'm hopeful, but I'm also anxious. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. And my desire is for us as believers, and as we go through this series, and as, as Christ followers, we should be full of hope. And there shouldn't be anxiety and worry and confusion in our lives. And again, they're polar opposites, and they're going in opposite directions. And as we think about bringing hope into Harrisonville, one family at a time, the question that we all need to ask is where we're at. As individuals, when people look at you at work or in your family or in your neighborhood or on the sports team or at school, do they say, wow, there's a person full of hope? Or do they say, oh, that person is full of anxiety? When people think about our church, Harrisonville Community Church, or they think about our school, is that a place where people can find hope? Or do people look at it, oh, those people are anxious, they're worried, they're stressed out. You see, the way God wants to work through us is he wants us to be a witness in our community and for us to have hope and not be full of anxiety. So here's the passage we want to look at today. It's John 15. So if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. It's a passage we've been in. We've actually been in it this year when we went through the I Am series. And I don't know, you might remember I talked about some of the false finds sort of, of, of trying to be in control and be certain and comfort, but that we need to connect to the true vine, which is Jesus Christ. And today we're going to take another slant, another look at this passage, John chapter 15. encourage you to, to look at it on your phone or if you brought your Bible today. Here's what John says about Jesus. These are Jesus' words, actually. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. 
Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. And as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This morning, I want to use this passage sort of as a springboard into this series on hope. And I specifically want to look at the way that God works in our lives. You see, I believe that's sort of at the heart or the core of hope. You believe that God is active, that God is working, that God cares about you. And so when those circumstances or the the things that are happening to you in life are sort of screaming at you saying, you know, God doesn't care, God's not present, God's not working, I want us all just to put that sort of way on the back burner and say, wait a second, maybe God is working in the circumstances of my life. Maybe some of the bad things that are happening, God's going to be working in those things and turning the corner. For his glory. And so we want to look at how God works and we want to see the big picture. And here's just some couple simple things that I think will be helpful. The first one is this great grapes come from a great vineyard, and great disciples also come from a great vineyard. Now, I love the name, the Vineyard Church, and some of you maybe have gone to a Vineyard Church. I just love the Vineyard Church because it is a, it's a great picture of what God is doing in our lives and the way we should view church. And so this morning, I sort of want you to picture, especially if you recall the story in Genesis of God walking through the garden, I want you to picture our church. God is walking through our church, the Vineyard. And he's not just looking at me as the pastor or elders as leaders. God is walking through the vineyard and he's looking at all of us. Those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. Those of us who claim to be Christians. God is walking through this vineyard called our church and he's seeing what is happening. And this principle is true, and again, I I don't know a lot about vineyards. Obviously, I was in California for a while, and I used to play golf right next to a vineyard, and it's called the Vineyard Golf Course, actually, and I could see the vineyards, and I could see them at work, and sometimes I 
have seen and witnessed different vineyards. But this principle is true. Great grapes come from a great vineyard. So the principle is true. Great disciples also come from a great vineyard. Here's the second principle. Great wine comes from great grapes. Here's the angle we're going to take on this, though, today, is that great hope comes from great disciples. If you understand your relationship with Jesus Christ, and if you have a great relationship with Jesus Christ, and you're connected with him, and you you study scripture, and you talk to him, and you listen to his voice, and you have an active, ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ, guess what? You're going to be full of hope. And it's going to be like what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, that we need to be prepared because people are going to see this hope in you and they're going to say, tell me about the hope you have. Tell me how you're enduring in the midst of your crisis. I want what you have. And that's fruit, that's excitement, that's that's attractiveness. And that is what God wants to do. He wants to work in our lives in such a way that we produce this great hope. So specifically today, this is what we want to look at. God is the vine dresser. And this passage also says that God is our Father in heaven. We're not going to look at that today, but we want to look at this specifically related to how God works as the vine dresser. And again, this is a metaphor. This is a figure of speech, and it's, a, it's an illustration of how God works, and every illustration always breaks down. But we need to understand that, that Jesus Christ is the vine. He's also the true vine. Again, I talked about that a few, few months ago. There's false vines out there. He is the true vine. He's the vine we need to be connected to when it comes to hope. We as disciples are branches. And so the way we need to look at this is if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord and you're trying to follow him and listen to his voice, you are a branch in the story. We'll talk about what the fruit is, but specifically we want to focus in this morning on what does it mean to be the vine dresser. So how does God work? Now, I want you to see in this passage, there's two things that that God is actively doing. The first one is God prunes. God prunes us. When I moved out to California, I had had two trees out there. Um, We had a peach tree. And as I, I think about it, I did a horrible job. You know, those peaches, just basically the rats ate them and some of the birds. And so... I would have been much more productive if I would have known how to prune. And then we had an avocado tree, which I was reading a little bit about the avocado tree or branch or whatever it's called. Maybe it's not even called an avocado tree. That's how clueless I am. But uh, I was looking, and they said that, that that is the easiest tree to work with. I knew absolutely nothing about pruning. But I said to myself, looking at this passage, I better start understanding what it means to prune. And in a simplest form, you know, pruning, we think of it cutting back stuff that is dead, that stuff that is getting in the way for future growth. But actually, this passage is trying to teach us something. It says that actually when we're producing fruit, 
when things are going actually really well, God will come into our lives and he will prune us so that we can bear even more fruit. And I don't know about you, I sort of don't like that. Because what it's telling me is if things are going really well in life, if I see God at work in my life and I see his blessing, I see his joy, I see that I'm producing fruit, it says God's going to come in and he's going to do a little bit of pruning so that I will bear much fruit. And one of the things that I just take from this, again, not knowing much about being a vine dresser, but just sort of observing in life and watching different gardeners work and watching how the concept of pruning is, I know two things. Pruning is hurtful. And again, I don't know a lot about pruning. I was even trying to clip my dog's paws the other day. Got that new puppy that I've talked about, and I was just trying to cut it back, and again, clueless. Next thing I know, my dog's bleeding all over the neighborhood, you know? I don't know how to prune, but it tells me, it was like, the dog was like, you know, and I'm like, oh, great. I don't even know how to prune a dog, much less an avocado tree, which I sometimes call a guacamole tree, so I'm totally clueless. But pruning hurts. But this is what I know. Pruning is helpful for growth. Otherwise, the vine dresser, God would not prune us if it wasn't helpful. And again, as I started learning about pruning, I started to understand that there's another term that is often used when it comes to pruning, and that's training. And as I was looking through John 15 and the way that the vine dresser is working in this passage, I see it more clearly that God is training us. Training means that he is shaping us, he's molding us, he's working in our lives so that we will be fruitful. And as we will see, the more fruit, the more hope we have in life. John describes it as joy, as complete joy. So God is pruning us and God is training us. As I started to study training a little bit more, I started to realize that there is, when it comes to training, you can do all sorts of pruning. There's different seasons you do of pruning. There's different styles of pruning. But in this training process, the one thing that really caught my eye was that God sometimes, as the vine dresser or vine dressers, sometimes they have what is called a lead branch. And I thought this was a very interesting concept. And so what it's saying is, in the vineyard, sometimes there is this lead branch on the vine. And what it does is it goes in a certain direction so that it is more fruitful, and it sort of leads the way. And I was thinking about us as a church. That's the way sometimes God works in the church, and some of you may be the lead branch, and you need to be ready and prepared for God to prune you so that we as a church can become more fruitful. But I also think maybe it's true in your family. Maybe God is shaping your family in such a way, and that's what I think the role of us as men and as dads and as fathers in our homes. We are the lead branch, and we need to lead the way so our wife and our children can be more fruitful and healthy and strong. But then I was like, well, maybe he's just talking about it 
as an individual. And I love looking at this concept because maybe in your life there is a lead branch. It's usually tied to your giftedness, to your sweet spot. And God is going to use how he has wired you and strengthened you and called you. And he's going to lead you in that way so that you bear much fruit. But as we will see, we got to let the vine dresser work. And for many of us, including myself, we get afraid when God gets out the shears and he starts pruning. But pruning is essential for us to bear fruit. Now let's look at this process a little bit more of the vine dresser. Now I included here three Greek words, not to show off Greek or to say, oh, I know Greek. That's not even the point. The point is, if you look at these three words of what God is doing in John 15, 2 and John 15, 3, and the different expressions, I believe that John, who was Jesus' best friend, wanted to try to communicate something about our Heavenly Father as the vine dresser. That God is strategic. Again, God is training us, he's shaping us, he's molding us in a specific way so that we will be fruitful. And I believe he works, as, works with us as individual Christians. And he is so, again, he's walking through the vineyard and he knows exactly what each branch needs. In John 15, 2, it says, if we're bearing no fruit, and again, there's different ways to interpret this. And I don't want you to get lost in the different interpretations, but, but some people say it means to, 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 to lift up. Other people say it means to, to cut off. Others say it means to cast away. But I want to look at it from the perspective of to lift up. And again, in John, he uses it in all different types of ways, and so it's sort of confusing. But being out in California, I did notice some vineyards sometimes, and I did notice that sometimes the vineyard and the leaves were down in the mud and the dirt. And so this is a common principle that when things get dirty and and muddy and messy, God, in his care and compassion for us to bear fruit, he reaches down into that mud and he cleans us off. He washes us, which again, that's part of the word here. We'll see. He cleans us up so that we can be now exposed to the light and we can be in a healthy fashion and we can grow. I picture that lifting up as God's grace in our lives, God's forgiveness, and him sort of breathing new life by the power of the Holy Spirit in us so that when we're not bearing fruit, so that we can bear fruit. Later in John 15, 6, and again, however you interpret that, it may mean discipline. And if we don't respond to God's grace and we continue not to bear fruit as believers, God is going to discipline us. God is going to judge us. God's going to hold us accountable for not bearing fruit because that is God's plan and desire for us as Christ followers that we bear fruit. We've talked a little bit about the second part, that he prunes us. Now, notice again, it's got the same word in there, but he prunes us. That's when we bear fruit so that we can bear more fruit. But notice in verse 15.3, it's a very interesting concept. In 15.3, it says... Already you are clean. And again, the reason I put those Greek words up there is because one time it's cast off or cut off, and one time it's pruned, and one time it's clean. 
I think that what God is saying to us, he has regenerated us. He's breathed new life into us. And because of the resurrection, we have hope. And we need to be praying that all of us understand for ourselves, but in our families, those who name the name of Jesus Christ, they need to see the potential they have to bear fruit. So why is this important and why is God working as the vine dresser? I, I may be oversimplifying this and forgive me if I am. But I believe what this passage is teaching us is that if we have fruit in our lives and we're bearing fruit, we're going to have hope. Again, hope and anxiety are going to polar opposite ways. Fruit and hope go hand in hand. And God knows this. And God wants us to to experience the hope and experience the joy and for everything to be made complete. But not only is this true, then this principle is true. The less fruit, the more anxiety in our lives. And so if your life is full of anxiety and stress and worry, then maybe you need to look in the mirror. Maybe we as a church, we need to look in the mirror if we're starting to see anxiety. But maybe it means there's not fruit that's being produced in our lives as individuals and as a church. And we don't want to get to this point. And God doesn't want us to get to this point. That's why he prunes us and he disciplines us. And he tries to hold us accountable. Is that no fruit equals no hope. So as you read John 15 and you keep on reading through, the goal is that our lives will be full of joy and this joy would be made complete and that we would bear much fruit and show ourselves to be Christ's disciples. So God prunes us and God trains us so that we will be fruitful. How do we move, though, from anxiety to anticipation? I hope we understand that God is at work and we also have a part in becoming people of hope. You see, hope is a process. It takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. And hope also takes pain. So this is what I want us to see, that hope, time, is the moment when you become ripe with fruit. Let me repeat that. Hope Time is the moment when you become ripe with fruit. You see, God is producing fruit in our lives, and he wants us to be more fruitful. And the more fruitful we are, the more hope we have. So hope time is that moment when they two collide, our fruitfulness and our ripeness. We become attractive, and we give people the opportunity to see us as people of hope, not people of of anxiety. You might be asking though, Mark, specifically, what can I do? If God is the one who is working in me and through me and for me, and if God is the one who prunes us and God is the one who trains us, what am I supposed to do? Just sit back in the vineyard and let God do his thing? No, I think the passage is very clear. There is something specifically we can do. In fact, two Quick applications. One, we need to listen to God's voice. Notice what he says in John 15, verse 7. He says, if you abide in me, 
literally, if you connect with me, if you spend time with me, and notice what he says, and he says, and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified. God wants us to listen to his voice. The word he uses here is not just the word for scripture or studying our Bible or reading our Bible. Yes, he wants us to study our scriptures and he wants us to be in the word. But more than that, he wants us to listen to his voice and to hear him clearly. And that takes time. It is a process of spiritual growth, spiritual endurance, where we listen to the voice of God. Second, the second application is he wants us to love him. Notice what he says in John 15, 12. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, and someone lay down his life for his friends. So over again in John, it is repeated that we need to love God and we need to love others. We need to love the Heavenly Father, we need to love Jesus Christ, and we need to love others. In fact, he summarizes this metaphor of the vine and the branches, and he puts it this way in verse 17. He says, these things I command you so that you will love one another. Just like I said, no fruit equals no hope. If there's no listening to God and if there's no love, there's no hope. But the more we listen to God and the more we love others, the more hope we have and the more attractive we are as we bear fruit for his glory. Or another way to look at this fruit and bearing fruit and producing hope is what Paul says in Galatians 5. That the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And maybe I'm being too simplistic here, but if we have the fruit of the Spirit, we're going to have hope. So if we're walking by the Spirit, we're keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, as Paul says. If we're making sure that the Holy Spirit is guiding and directing our lives, guess what? All we can do is produce fruit. And even though hope is not listed in the fruit of the Spirit, I think when you take all of that fruit that is mentioned, it signifies there is hope. We love to talk about the next steps. And I believe these are the next steps that we need to consider if we want to move from anxiety to anticipation. And again, whether it's us as a church, whether it's us as a family, whether it's us as individuals, we need to understand what John 15 is all about. It's about pruning. And so what I want to say to us as I wrap this up this morning is we need to start pruning or God will. We need to start pruning or God will do the pruning for us. And here are some ways that we start the pruning. Number one, we need to spend time with Christ. We need to spend time with Christ. We need to understand that Christ wants to spend time with us. If you're a parent, you get this. You want your children to want to spend time with you. And even as they become adult children, you want them to spend time with you, to talk to you. 
about their problems, to talk to you about what brings them joy and satisfaction in life. Likewise, Christ wants us to spend time with him. The pruning is changing our schedules, getting off the busyness trap and the busyness cycle so that we can spend more time with Christ. Second, we need to seek first his kingdom. The one place that that Jesus talks about worry and anxiety is in Matthew 6. And he says, you shouldn't be people that are worried and anxious about tomorrow. You need to seek first his kingdom and seek first his righteousness. And everything that we're worrying about will work out according to God's plan. You see, we're either seeking first our own kingdom, which causes anxiety, or we're seeking first God's kingdom, the kingdom that he is building. It's tied to the fruitfulness, and we need to seek first his kingdom. So if you're trying to build your own kingdom, or to build your family's own kingdom, or if we're trying to build a church that is not part of God's kingdom, God will prune us, so we need to start seeking first his kingdom. We need to pray more, worry less. Pray more, worry less. We're going to spend all next week looking at this in, in the book of Acts and the early church and how they understood this principle that you pray more and you worry less. We need to listen to his voice and not the world's voice. I would recommend stop watching CNN for a while. Stop watching Fox News. Stop. Get off the, the social media what you're hearing and seeing and listening to and reading on Facebook and Instagram or Twitter, it's not God's voice. And one of the reasons our world is full of hatred and, and chaos and anxiety is because we're not listening to his voice. And I'll say this over and over again as we go through our transition, and I've been saying it for the last five years. If you're not in a group, you got to get in a group. One of the ways God helps us to be more fruitful is that he uses small groups and he uses relationships to change our lives. And we also need to get in the game. The way you bear fruit is by being his disciple. And disciples serve. In January, we told you that you were made for more. All of us were made for more. And we need to serve here in the church, but we also need to serve outside the church. And we need to take Christ where we work, where we live, where we play, where we study. And we need to get in the game and be Christ's disciple. And in order to follow Christ and to look like Christ. We need to serve him. So I would encourage you, get in the game. Start greeting. Start ushering. Start serving. Start inviting people to sit with you at church. Start serving in the nursery. Start and get involved in kids ministry. Get involved with youth ministry. Get involved with the thrift store. Get involved with the Ministry Alliance. Get involved with Shepherd Staff. Get in the game. Take advantage of our prayer times and what we're doing as a church. Serve as a small group leader. Serve as a small group host.
serve at our hospital, get in the game. Because we need to start the pruning process or God will. Next week, we're going to pick it up and we're going to look at anxiety in the book of Acts and we're going to look at the anxiety cure. And so I'd encourage you to invite somebody to join you as we dig deeper